Shabbat Shalom. Okay, this is a dual parsha, parshiot. Um, scriptures are taken out of Exodus chapter 35, and it talks about basically Moses is bringing together the people and he's reiterating to them uh, the commandments about building the Mishkan and observing the the Shabbat um, and then it goes through how the people donate uh, money and things of their own for the building of the tabernacle and how the uh, artisans come together um, and and start to build the layers and the pieces parts for how God had commanded them to uh, build it, build the scripture, build the the Mishkan and the the tabernacle for Him. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about the the idea of building this Mishkan and, and what it means for us today because it's a historical truth, right? God commanded us, God gave the Mishkan so that he could dwell in it. <clears throat> but what do we as a people have to do to invest our own materials into God and his dwelling? Oops. A little bit about it, investing. Investing who we are, investing our materials. Um, the previous Torah readings, Teruma, Tetzaveh, and Kitesa, they were layers of, um, they, were, they were describing layers that were putting on to the scriptures. It was important that in the parasha of Teruma, which means an offering to God, That the basic message is that everyone has to offer from their own possessions, from their own materials, to build the dwelling place for God on earth. So, this morning was interesting. Last night, my dad sent me a text and he says, I'm looking forward to uh, an uplifting message. And this morning, mom prays from the Bima. That we uplift you. And Jason prays that we desire to be an offering. So, hearing these words, they reflect this word teruma, which is a parasha from three weeks ago, not today's parasha. We have to be uplifted, okay? It's important to feel uplifted in the presence of God, but also to uplift God. And that's the interesting concept of being in relationship, right? 
you can't be in relationship with God and, and, and uplift Him without be feeling uplifted yourself. And you can't uplift yourself without uplifting Him. And it's, it, it goes hand in hand. In order to be an offering to God, you have to, you have to put yourself and invest yourself into Him. But the basic message of Teruma, which is interesting, is that everyone has to offer from their own possessions. They have to offer from their own materials, from who they are. They have to give of what they are. And if you read about Teruma, Tetzaveh, Kitisa, and you move into the, the reiteration of Vayachel and, and Pekudei, the, the dual par, parshiot today, you understand that the people were required to bring to the temple, they were required to invest in it. Invest in what God wanted. God told them what they wanted to do, right? So God was the master and they were the servants. God said, I need you to build this this way. And I need you to take from yourself and build it. God didn't give it to them. He didn't just spit it out onto the earth. He said, this is what I want you to do, and I need you to be a part of it, and I need you to build it, and I need you to invest your materials in it, and I need you to make it this way. So, so God, the master, tells the servants what they were to do, and they had to go dig deep and figure out what they had, all of them. What do we have inside of us that we can use to invest for the materials of the temple? And that's what today's parshiot, parsha, parshiot the two of them are about, is about the artisans that came together to, to do the textiles, to paint and to build and to do the, the carvings and the, and the, you know, make the, 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 the curtain for the, tor for the different, the separation in the tabernacle. I mean, all the things that had to go about, people had to come together to build that. So in Exodus 25 verse 2, it says to speak to the children of Israel that they should take to me a terumah, an uplifting. That they take to me an uplifting. So the ancients say that every created entity has this spark. Alright, we've talked about this many times, that all of us have this spark of godliness within us. And that we have a pinpoint of divinity that constitutes our soul, our neshama. Its spiritual function and design was according to God. And we have to take that which is inside of us, that spark of divinity that God places in us, our neshama, our soul, and we have to utilize it to serve the Creator. And we penetrate it. We penetrate the shell of mundanity. We reveal and realize the divine essence of God when we start to look at things differently. Jason talked this morning about being uncommon and not common when you come before God. Right? You, you have to be uncommon in front of Him. You have to be holy. So understanding the spark of divinity which lies inside of you and allowing that to come and penetrate out so that God can be worshipped and manifest Himself inside your life is, in part, is important. And we have to elevate ourselves to reunite with the Source who is God Himself so that He can share with us, talk to us, guide us, direct us. How do we, how do we get guidance and uplifted from God if we ourselves are not uplifting God? We have to get access to the source. There's a lot of things going on in the world today around us. 
right? And so you can feel not uplifted, you can feel down. There's, you know, in, in, our, in our circle, there's been, uh, you know, three, three deaths that we've realized in our family circle uh, that people that we know all in the same time, there's been, the world is going crazy. I mean, there's, there's things just going on that, that, are, that are very easy to put you in a position where you don't feel uplifted and you don't feel like you can uplift God. And that's the hardest, the hardest part is to say, okay, I'm in this situation and uh, I'm, in a, I'm in a period where I feel that God you should be moving but you know it's funny I read scripture last night that we honestly think that God should move but in reality we're the ones that have to move and I'm gonna explain that here through the scriptures it hit me like a ton of bricks yesterday it's not it's not you know, just sitting back and waiting on God, that's a big Christian perspective. That's a very Christian perspective. Sit back and wait, sit back and wait, and God will handle it. God will do all of it. Well, I, I, I was reading the scripture today, and, and you know, God handles it as you act. God's there with you. And we're going to dig into it. I'm, I'm talking very in, in vague because I'm kind of jumping around in my head, which is normal. But we have to, let's talk about today investing our materials, who we are, for the continuation of the building and the dwelling of God on earth. Because God is still has a dwelling and that dwelling place is ultimately you. You are the traveling tabernacle for the presence and spirit of God. You are that temple of God that travels if the Holy Spirit, the Ruach, lives inside of you. So wherever you go, so does God. And if God goes, if God is in you and with you, then you have to maintain the temple. And uh, we have to be an example for those that are lost around about us. So we need to, we need to think about that for a moment. <clears throat> but how do we utilize the divine spark that the presence of God and the Creator puts within us and use our talents for God as, as they're birthed within us? This, is a, this message every year is a good message to talk about the talents okay? that God gives you, the parable of the talents, and we're going to read it here. But this is the message really for that because it's God using people's talents, the artisans and others, to invest in and build what He desires to be on the earth. But let's start with Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. It says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Yeshua. It's really difficult to forget the wake that you've left in the past. 
This scripture tells us the only way to press on is to forget what was. It's over. We can't move on if we sit and wallow in what was. Press forward means to forget your past and focus on where God is leading you into the future. We leave a wake behind us, every one of us do. Those of you who don't think you do, you're lying to yourself. And the wake that we leave, we, we wallow in. Well, I just can't get over the fact that this happened or that I can't, I don't know how to handle this. And, and sometimes we sit, in this, we sit in a seat where we say to ourselves, I don't know how to deal with this situation. Well, the situation was from the past. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to deal with it. Well, that situation is from the past. Even though you think you're living it in the present, it already occurred. So, focus on what you are going to do tomorrow. What you're supposed to do today. Rather than what was. Can't do anything about it. Now we have to figure out what the next phase is. This scripture is very interesting. It says, I want to forget those things which are behind me, it says. Reaching forth unto the things which are before. I want to forget those things and I want to reach forward. And I want to grab and I want to press toward the mark of the prize of the hall calling, the high calling of God. And that's an important part. What is the high calling of God? Many of us lead busy lives. We're overwhelmed in our lives. I can relate. I'm overwhelmed every day by ridiculousness by busyness or business and it can cause us to focus our attention on life's circumstances on trivial things temporal things the busyness gets you clogged up my mind is constantly running and running and running and you need breaks and you need to do this and that and that's all important stuff but when we get caught up with the stuff in life, which inevitably comes to things of the past, we forget to look forward and ahead to the promises of God and ultimately we forget that we have spiritual obligations to Him, our Master, our Creator, to make for Him a dwelling on the earth. What can we get caught up in? What is the stuff? Work-related issues, family arguments, physical deficiencies, looking in the mirror, I'm fat, you know, whatever. We get caught up in, you know, personal quirks, anything that's not directly related to God, anything that's not directly related to your spiritual health, you get caught up in those things. We get caught up in the stuff. We get caught up in the life of our family members, our children, I mean, I was you know, talking to Tasha this week. I mean, it's nonstop running around. 
you know, like three nights a week, I'm, I'm gone till 10 in, in the evening with my daughter, with Eliana. And that's just Eliana. I've got four more to go. I mean, it's going to be a disaster. Ten at night, I come home. I eat dinner at ten o'clock at night on three nights a week. I mean, it's it's it, it's a lot, right? And we get caught up in it, and and it takes your focus away from a lot of things that you're supposed to be focused on. And you know, I personally have things in my life that I've invested that I need to focus on that I I, I scrap. And then God needs to God needs to help me focus on that. You know that quote. Uh, if you can't fly, then run. Can't walk. Can't run. Walk. You can't walk. Crawl. Whatever you do, keep moving forward. That, that's the most important thing in our lives: is to move forward. We don't want to get caught, stuck in the in the mundanity of of life. Okay, and the things that control us. We don't want to get stuck. We have to keep thinking about the future with each other, with your friends, with your family, what's next. You know, the things of the past have to go away. And in your own personal life. But it's virtually impossible for any one of us to move forward in our promise if we're still looking in the rearview mirror. If we're looking at the wreckage we leave behind us at the location of our latest bout with the world, because that's what we do. We have a fight with the world and, and we, we leave wreckage there and, and then we just sit there and we contemplate it. And most conversations you have with friends or with family, and I like to keep my mouth shut about certain things and when I start it also, it ends up turning into something bigger. So I like to like not talk about things. But, you know, when, when, you, when you start to talk about the past and the, and the irrit irritating things that happened to you, you leave more wreckage. Well, if you can just get over the wreckage, get over what just happened and move on to the next level, it, everything changes. I think everyone here would agree that too many believers spend their time reflecting and, and wallowing upon the pains of their personal struggles. Whether the struggles are induced by others or something that's embedded into the fabric of the, who they are, we wallow in it. I, I had a phone call the other day from a gentleman and a, you know, he, he every, a lot of people know him. And, and I'll tell you, it was just non-stop depression, upset about life, what happened to him, God needs to really do a miracle. If God doesn't do a miracle, I don't know how long I can last. Well, how much of that's on God and how much of that's on you? Your, your miracle is get up and do something about it. Don't, don't sit and wallow in it. I mean, a lot of times we put ourselves in that position where we, we think that it's God's responsibility to fix. Well, God, you made me. You fix it. I wash my hands of it. I have an issue, I have an issue at, at the office. I look at everybody. I say, I pay you guys a lot of money to do a job. Like, it's your job to do it. Well, it's really my responsibility. I'm, I'm, I own the business. 
And the fact that I put that person in charge, that's my problem. I have to manage that. I have to deal with the problem. If, if I just sit back and let them and expect them to do it, it's going to turn out not being what I need it to be. They're not going to do the job. I have to act. Otherwise, it won't work. It's the same thing in our lives. If we think we can wallow in, this, in, in our own struggles, and in, in, that are, whether they're induced by others or not, I mean, think about your own conversations with your friends. Think about your conversations. How many of us talk about the exciting things that are coming in the future versus the things that, are, that we're dealing with that have happened to us from the past? Just think about your, your phone conversations or, or your emails or your text messages. Most of the time we're talking about, I can't believe this happened, look what happened to so-and-so or, or even other people's problems. Rather than looking toward what the future is and what we should be doing, investing ourselves. What, what are we doing for God? What are we doing for the kingdom? It makes perfect sense that a believer would focus their own personal struggles and spend a majority of their time seeking personal fulfillment and healing because of the fact that the essential theme of the faith for centuries has been centered on personal relationship with Yeshua. It makes total sense that the faith in general spends a lot of time focusing on their personal issues and healing they need because it's about personal relationship rather than master-servant relationship. If, if, you, if you have a master-servant relationship, you don't look at the master and say, sorry, I can't, come to work. I can't go to work today. I can't do what you want me to do because I just don't feel like it. I don't feel good. I'm struggling with what's going on around. A master-servant relationship, that doesn't work that way. You know, i got so much going on in my life, God. I'm just going to take a break today. I'm going to take a break. And I think you understand. Oh, by the way, while I'm here on my break, why don't you let me soak in the tub, send your presence to comfort me, and I'll enjoy my, my time with you today. That's not a master-servant relationship, right? That's a, that's a loving, personal relationship. And that's what the faith has been centered on for centuries. The faith has been centered on, God, you give to me while I'm down, and that's why I worship you. Because when I'm down and not feeling well, I f you make me feel well. So that's why I worship you. Rather than, I worship you because you are a king, first. Oh, by the way, I'm in the presence of a king. What should I do? Oh, I'm in the presence of a king. He made me. Here I am. Shalak, send me. No. We pour out on God our woes. We pour out on God our struggles. We pour out on God what we need Him to do for us. I do it. And it hits me like a ton of bricks this week. Like, what am what planet are you on? I, I pour out on God all the time about my stuff. And, and what world are we in that we can just pour out on God and expect God to just change the circumstances? No, we have to act. We have to be there. We are His servants. 
He's a king. Now, don't get don't get all confused. Okay? Because some of you may. Does God still do miracles in your life? Does he still want you to be touched and does he still care about your feelings and your woes? Yes, he does. Let's not get confused. What I'm saying is, you can't make your relationship with God solely that. Because relationships don't work that way. Think about your best relationship. Your best relationship you've ever had, think about it. This person and this person have to give to each other. Otherwise, if, if one is self-centered and all about themselves and the other is, is, is only focused on that person and they're not being fed that feeling or they're what they need, this person becomes weak and gaunt and frail in the relationship and this person basically doesn't understand what's going on, right? He's selfish. I say he because it's usually the guy. It's focused on them, right? But if the two of them are caring for each other's needs and understand each other's needs, mentally, emotionally, whatever that may be, they feel good about each other. They're confident. They're happy with what they have. I'm confident in who I have and what I have. That's, that's a basic tenet of relationships. You have to understand the needs of each other. It's the same thing with God. We put God in a position that it's his responsibility to know every one of our needs and it's really not our responsibility to know his needs. I think Jay talked about it a bit today that we come before a holy God and we have to recognize the needs of the holy God. These parashiot talk specifically about the needs and requirements of the holy God and how we have to invest ourselves into ensuring that those needs and requirements are met on earth for the Mishkan. In the, in the scriptures, David got mad at God because he allowed Uzzah to die as the ark was teetering. He got mad at God. He said, I don't want... I, they were taking the ark to Jerusalem. And it teeters and Uzzah touches the thing and, and, it, and, he, and he ends up dying. Now, how it happens, whether it fell on him or whatever, I don't know. But regardless, think about, think about the fact that David got angry. And then David says to him, he says, Aviatar, Aviatar, I want you to take this ark home. I'm not taking this to Jerusalem. Forget this. God, you killed Uzzah. You shouldn't have, had to, you shouldn't have killed Uzzah. He, David was mad at him. He went to Jerusalem. He left it with Aviatar in his house, the priest's house. And then all of a sudden, David hears the amazing blessing that Aviatar was receiving as a result of having the ark in his home. So what's David say a few weeks later? Go get the ark and bring it to Jerusalem. I need the same blessing. It's, you see, we, we are selfish. We want, and, but God has a, has, a, has a rule, a plan. We have to follow, follow what, what he wants as well. What's his requirement for our relationship with him? 
And how will he respond if we respond to him? He'll respond to us on earth in a beautiful way that as long as we respond to him in the spirit. It's important to point out that though we accept Yeshua as our personal Messiah, he also, we also must accept, he has to also accept us into his kingdom. And with that acceptance comes responsibilities to him and the people of his kingdom, the people of Israel. Understanding that truth, it's my belief that one must conclude that we can't focus our full attention on pressing toward the mark or the higher call of Yeshua unless we put our materials into service for him. In regard to the parasha, there's a rabbi that says, the parasha Teramah, the measurements of the ark were all in fractions, indicating to become a vessel for Torah, a person must first break his ego. If you have to become a vessel for God, for Torah, you have to first be fractured, broken, break your ego. The intense focus on self as opposed to the advancement of the kingdom, which was incidentally the theme of the great commission to the apostles, is causing a shift in the balance of power and making the master serve the servants as opposed to the servants living a life of abeyance to the master. The moment you begin to start putting it onto yourself, you stop serving him and he starts serving you. It's the same thing in a relationship. The moment you start making the issues yours, you expect them to fix it and you're free to go. Sometimes you're the dummy in the relationship. Sometimes it's your mind that's all screwed up. But when you think, when you put it in, into a context and you say, you know, woe is me, look what you do to me, now you are making the person on the other side serve you. We're doing that to God every day in our, in our prayers. When, when I have my kids at night go to bed, they pray every night and their prayers, they don't, they pray about, they pray for people and they pray that we have a good day. But they never pray about their problems. Lord, I just didn't feel good today, and I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I had a bad day, and people treated me wrong, or this or that, and they, they never do that, and I don't want them ever to do that, because the focus is changing. They look forward in their prayers to the next day, and, it, you know, as a child, it's important to do that, right? What, what can we do, and how we serve you for the next day? Rather than saying, Lord, I need, I, Lord, I need you to fix this, Lord, I had a terrible time, God cares about all of that stuff. Okay, I mean, he does. But, but again, we're putting the master into service to us, not serving him. There's a difference. The time of dedication to oneself must end. That's a beautiful quote from the movie Gladiator. Maximus says to the terrible emperor, 
the time to dedicating yourself will soon be at an end, right? It was a beautiful part. It was awesome. And it felt great. And he was just before he died, the great general. But that's a truth. We have to, we have to end that. Our dedication to God must begin. And it's my belief that it's time that we as a people, the people of Israel, learn to overcome the battles and the trials of life through strengthening ourselves with God's presence, saying, God, give me the strength to press on toward the mark, not God, give me the strength to, to deal with the wreckage that's behind me. Ignore the wreckage, but God, give me the strength to press on, to see what's next. And though I don't see it, and though I'm Jack Sparrow, and I have a compass that doesn't show me which way to go, though I, I feel like I'm on the, you know, the, the, the terrible black sheep boat, show me where I need to go, but give me the courage to press on in this storm rather than looking backwards at the things that were, because that stuff holds you back. It holds you down from what God wants from you. It holds you back from where you're going, where you need to be going, where God's direction is for you, what He wants you to do for Him. Not for you. That's the interesting part. Where you are going isn't for you. That's the other part. FYI. We believe that because... There's a big, huge movement of self-help in the world today. Everybody wants to feel self-love and self-care. I mean, they're getting it tattooed all over their arms and their hands and their bodies, and everybody's talking about now they can, you know, realize their true self. Demi Lovato just came out, and now she can realize her true self because, you know, she's... I mean, this stuff is ridiculous, what's happening around the world. Everything is about self-care and self-love. You realize that... Where God wants you is where He needs you so that He can use you. It's, it's, a, it's a different way of thinking. God serves me or I serve God? Which one is it? If you're one of those where God serves you, man, you're lucky. That's a great life to be in. I just sit back and get served by the creator of all things. Look at my life. I get it all because he serves me. I mean, you've put yourself in a position of God. To be greater than the creator, you cannot do that. You're, you have to serve the creator. Therefore, ego must be broke. What you want has to be broke and fractured. And then you have to be able to see what he needs for you. So that means spending some time in his presence, reading his word, praying, and figuring out, Lord, where would you have me to go? What's the next mark? Where's the next place to go? It's your compass, not my own. The balance of power cannot shift. We have to have a spiritual breakthrough in our minds. 
true breakthrough where no matter if you are at their highest high or your lowest low, you recognize that you stand on spiritually stable foundation that will not waver your resolve or your presence of mind to know that God is in control and he is the author of life and the commander of chief. I'm the strongest force imaginable. Nothing will stop you or waver your mindset. This week, you know, we had a death in our that we uh, in a circle, and we were all praying hard for someone, and they died. And we we could have thought by faith that this was going to change. It got you know obviously God can do anything. God can God can change anything. He could actually. He could crush the world and bring it back. I mean, whatever he desires to do, he can do. It's his will. I think about David, David's life. If, if any of you have read this David's life, you, you're going to read David's life and think to yourself, what a mess. What a train wreck this guy had. Okay? I mean, literally a wreck. From the time he was young, he was anointed. He was anointed to be king, and then, and then he was going through, but what a wreck. He was running almost all of his life from people that were trying to kill him. And he was barbaric. I don't think you get how barbaric David was. Read the story and you'll hear the barbarism in his, in his, in his life. In fact, when Avshalom, his son, was chasing after him, the people were like, his, his advisors were telling him, what are you doing? We can't chase after your dad. He's a man of war. Do you know what, you, what you're doing? There's no way we're going to win. Everyone bowed to him. The king of Ammon, the king of Syria. Name it. They were all bowing to David. Why? Because he literally would behead you. He'd behead you. The same way he did with, with, uh, with the, the giant. He killed that giant with a stone. And then cut his head off with his own sword. He beheaded him. And then he used that as a theme throughout the rest of his life. For 70 years, beheading people. Total man of war. Total wreckage. Leaving, leaving wreckage everywhere that he went. But this, this guy, the difference is here. This guy literally was always looking for the future. Read it. He was looking toward the future. His faith never wavered about who he was. He knew he was the king. He knew he was anointed king. He had trust and faith to believe in what God had told him that would be. He always said it. He always trusted it. He always focused toward the next level. Never really back. Read it. You'll hear it. It's the thrust of the message throughout the whole thing. His faith never wavered. We can be praying and engaged in the presence of God and, and asking God to do something and to make a miracle and that miracle not happen. We can't allow that to, to change our faith. Why? Because we're in obeyance to God. God's not in obeyance to us. Just because you pray to God and ask for something, if it doesn't happen, it's not God. Therefore, we must submit to what God has allowed to happen. We're in obeyance to Him. It's not the reverse. You can't just pray and miracles happen. It's not, it's not realistic. This poor guy that passed away, he was an attorney for us. 64 years old, got COVID, and it just, dis it just dismantled his entire body. Just completely 
dismantled him. He was on a vent forever, then he just and then went into renal failure and died. I mean, it was just a disaster. And he was a, you know, a, a God-fearing, loving person, loved God, was, was always doing great things for the Lord. I mean, he was just all over that. Why do good things happen to bad people? They just do. I mean, bad things happen to good people. Same thing, it's reverse. They just do. But we're in obedience to God. God's not in obedience to us. So we submit our lives to Him and say, Okay, God, whatever is your will is your will. It is what it is. Now what's next? We have to press on. What are we doing next? Focusing on advancing the kingdom, investing ourselves, investing our materials into the kingdom of heaven, serving Yeshua with our whole hearts, keeping our eyes on the promise to come, pressing toward the mark and allowing Yeshua to press into us, making us holy before Him. Uncommon. Exodus 25, it says, The poles shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be removed. This is actually the one of the 365 prohibitions of the Torah, never to remove the carrying poles from the ark, even when the Mishkan is at state of rest, as if it, as it often was several months at a time, and, and, and the poles remained in the ark for the more than 380 years that it stood in the Holy of Holies in the Temple of Jerusalem. This particular law only applies to the ark and not to any of the other vessels because the ark served as the depository of the Torah was the most secluded of the Mishkan's vessels, expressing the ideal that the Torah scholar who serves as an ark for the Torah must remove himself from all worldly endeavors and at the same time he must be in constant state of portability, even more so than other vessels. If there's a soul thirsting for the word of God in the ends of the earth, the Torah scholar must be prepared to leave his inner sanctum to transport the Torah to that place. So even when he sits at, in his throne, his holy of holies, he must have his carrying poles inserted in his rings, always at the ready to venture out at a moment's notice, constantly aware of his responsibilities toward the world outside of him. It's important for us to realize that this concept of the poles was making that ark portable, portable so that other people could could see it. Wherever God needed to go, they could take it. Wherever, wherever God needed to be, they could, they could have him there. So let's read this parable of the talents quickly. Matthew 25. For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway his, took his journey. Then he, then, then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two, he also gained other two, but he that received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time the Lord of those servants comes and reckons with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I've gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into your joy. 
He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, delivers me two, and I've gained two other talents beside them. The Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. I, I want to point out here, at no point did they think these talents were theirs. They weren't their talents. They were the master's talents. At no point, anything that you have, no substance that's inside of you that you can use for this world is your own. At no point should you look in the mirror and be proud and say, look who I am and puffed up. Because you are not your own. These talents are His, and we must manage them like they're not our own. We are not our own, we are His, so how do we invest ourselves today to bring Him glory so that you can go and, and, reveal, and realize your joy? Just as he told these two who did very well investing their talents. Anything we have is not ours, it's his. It's a different way of thinking. A lot of people don't think that way. They think, look what I was able to do, look what I've created, look what I've built, look who I am, blah, 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 this is me, God made me that way, hey, look, great. As, as if God made you, God serving you, giving you these talents. No, 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 no. You serve God with what He gave you. But some He gives five, some He gives two, some He gives, you know, one, and they bury it, as we see here in verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed, and I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there that hast there thou hast that in thine. Wow, that was a tongue twister. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, you knowest that I reap where I sow not, gather where I am not strawed. Thou ought therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. If, you, if you're unprofitable, people will take from you and give to those who are profitable. That's the story of life, but it's also an ancient story written here in the Brit Chadashah, in the book of Matisyahu, telling us that we have to be focused on what God has given us so that it is profitable for the Master. For unto everyone that, ha that hath shall be given, and unto he shall have abundance. 
But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit on the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. This block of scripture comes directly from the Mashiach himself. It's a story explaining the expectations of a master on his servants. Correlating it directly with the responsibility of believers that we have to advance the kingdom of heaven while we're on this earth. We're not advancing our own goals. Okay, we're not advancing our own ideas. We're only advancing what God gives us the ability to advance. And sometimes, you know, there's people in the world that they're, they're, they're blessed for, for their own... For, no reason whatsoever. I mean, you, you, you meet him and you're like, oh my word, how in the world does that guy have anything? I mean, why is he blessed? What a, what a, a disaster of a person. I mean, you think that to yourself, right? You know, not even godly, you know, God's not in his life, blah, 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 blah. There's people that have blessing in their lives, whether their families are great, their children are great, their you know, whatever, name it, they, they, they realize blessing and they may not need it. But that's not the point. The point here is we who are followers of God must know who we owe, who we owe obeyance to, who we have to bow our heads to, to advance the kingdom of God. Heaven, bring heaven onto the earth, a place where God can abode. The scriptures suggest that our place and our service in heaven will depend on the faithfulness of our lives and service here on earth prior to Messiah's return. The scriptures suggest that what we have in the future Olam Haba specifically correlates to what we've done while we're here on earth. Clearly a talent represents any and all of our abilities to introduce the kingdom of God to the lost, increase the number of people exposed to and potentially accept Yeshua. Our talents are considered by God as a trust that we are responsible to administer in the wisest possible way. We hold a trust in our hands and we have to administer that trust. It's not ours, it's God's. What is your talent? How do you use your talent to effectuate change in the world around you? Are you focused primarily on yourself? during the week. Think about your own thoughts. Do you think, do you talk about yourself? I can tell you right now, some of you, I, I, I hear it all the time. Me, I make phone calls and talk to friends and say, oh, I'm dealing with this and got this and got this issue, that problem. I mean, we talk about ourselves all day long. We don't talk about what, we're, what we need to be doing and acting and moving for God and His kingdom. We talk about what we've done and what we've experienced because we live every day by itself. We have to stop that. We have to effectuate change for God in the world around us and we have to focus primarily on the master because he has invested in you. Like I said earlier, when we accept Yeshua, we invest in him and expect a return of healing and happiness and upliftment an uplifted spirit. But on the other hand, he invested in us jointly and is also expecting a return for us. 
That return comes in the form of unadulterated worship toward him, advancement of his kingdom, speaking salvation to the lost, spending time in the presence of the word and the spirit of God. All these things are important. We have to realize these things as we seek spiritual advancement. If we think that our relationship is one-sided and we're not here to advance the kingdom of God, we're, we're, we're out of our minds. The things of the world will not be fixed if we're not focused on advancing what God has put in front of us. Now, those things that go on around about us are intertwined with God's presence. There's no, there's no this and then that. It's all intertwined. Your makeup, who you are, is, is intertwined. So, so what, you, where, what you do in life, how you invest your materials in life, what you do, your actual work, that's all part of it. You have to represent God in everything you do, not just on the side, as a side gig. So it's very important to do so. That's part of advancing the kingdom of God. What time we spend with God and working for Him here and now will directly affect our inheritance in heaven. Matthew 6, it says to lay not up yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where the thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These scriptures uh, we've all heard, but, but, but together as they have been presented, in order to build a treasure in heaven, we have to invest a talent here on earth. You can't build treasures in heaven without investing talents on earth. That means put your body, your mind, your spirit, your soul, your flesh, everything that you are into to, to going where God's directing you. And again, your life is intertwined. Everything you do when you wake up in the morning, Lord, where will I head today? If you have a job at a hospital, out of this or out of that, at a school, out of whatever, all of that is intertwined. That's part of you investing your talents into what he is, what he's requiring of you. He's going to move in your life there as long as you say, where you will have me, I will go. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. And then you're obeying to the master and the master then moves because he's going to use you and you're investing yourself in him and that's going to change everything for you and for us and for the world if we focused on the master-server relationship a little bit more than we do on the boyfriend Jesus relationship and I know that sounds that, that almost sounded maybe a little sacrilegious but it's not we think Jesus is our boyfriend and he's going to give us all our love and care and all this stuff. But we have to serve that man. He's our king. There's a difference. Many of us have been called by God. And we visibly, actively invest our talents. But we could be using these talents more to advance the kingdom and build our futures and how but but fear and doubt take hold and we don't step out in faith and we invest ourselves uh, and, and invest ourselves in the Lord's calling. In Isaiah chapter 6, 
We should get some encouragement on how we approach our, our calling and our general work toward building our treasures in the kingdom. Isaiah 6, 3, it says, One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the doors were moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. I mean, geez, can you imagine this experience? I mean, when I'm reading it, I'm, I can't imagine this experience, but you really have to... I think it's important for you guys, when you read the Word, you should really get yourself into it, rather than just allowing it to, to, to escape and go by, because it, it, it's got life and meaning. But Isaiah, woe is me, I'm undone. He's, he's a man of unclean lips. He doesn't feel good. He doesn't feel like the one he should be. But the seraphim comes and he touches his lips. And he taken it from the tongs from the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. See ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. If you don't feel quite adequate, if you don't feel as adequate as you need to be, if you feel like you're going to screw something up, you need to think back on the day you were called or the day you were saved and use the same new zeal you had then to drive your passion now. You see, Isaiah says, I can't do it. I'm a man of unclean lips. I mean, you're calling me. But, you know, God calls unclean people. That's what he does. It's throughout all the scriptures. It's the way he works. Broken vessels. No ego. There's no ego with broken vessels. They're broken. God can use them. If you can't find that zeal that was once you were first came out, when, when God first touched your lips with the coals of the altar, step out in faith, act upon the voice of God in your heart, turn from the ways and the trials of the world, accept only advancement, and reject the things which force you to remember the wreckage of your flesh along your journey, reject it, and look forward to advancement, your life would totally be different and you'd be walking in the blessing of God. You wouldn't even see this stuff. And it's hard. I mean, trust me, I, I get it. But spiritual breakthroughs, the stability that is needed to realize and accept our talents, use them to advance Yeshua's commission. And if we are following God and we're obeying the Master, rather than making the Master serve us, our lives are going to be totally different emotionally, in our own minds, between our, between our ears, in our hearts. Everything that we do will change. Every way we see life will change. We'll see it through his eyes. Well, this look, and, and may not understand it, but it is what it is. Concept, uh, you know, just kind of revert back to the guy who died, passed away. You pray. There was a lot of prayer going on, even in our among our prayer warrior groups. 
for this gentleman. And you believe and you want to believe that he's going to be healed. But, but, but David, think about David. David. David prayed and he fasted. And he didn't eat bread. The whole time his first child with Bathsheba was being born. The whole time. He prayed, he fasted, he didn't eat bread. And he noticed something about the, the, his servants. His servants were afraid to come and tell him because they were afraid of what he would do. Why? Because he was a man of war. And he might have lost it. And he might have taken their head off, quite literally. But David recognized in them that they weren't telling him something. He literally recognized it. The scripture says he looked at them and he recognizes that they're, they're playing games. And he says, tell me, is the child dead? Basically. And they said, yes, the child has died. So what's he do? He gets up, he washes his face, and he goes and he eats some bread. And they look at him like he's a crazy man, like he's crazy, like what in the world? Like, how can you do this? You, you, you just washed your face and you're eating bread now after the death of this child. You've been praying and you've been fasting and it's been all over you and you've been crying out. And now it's just over? Let the dead bury the dead. It's what God's will was. David saw it. It was God's will. Now I move on. I am a king. I have to lead a people. I have to think of the advancement. I have to think what's next. God, what do you have next? Now I move on. The wreckage of the past is over. I'm moving on to the future. And the scriptures say that he went on to comfort Bathsheba. And they bear a son. And that son is Solomon at that moment. And that son is Solomon and uh, he's the leader and the king of the world. The king of all of Israel from that point on. The future was born, was conceived. You, you have to eliminate what was and think about what will be. God's plan is his plan, it's not ours. We can't, we can't design his plan for him. We can get mad at him for letting Uzzah and other things happen through death and, and, and the issues around us that happen, we can get mad at God, but it does no justice to us. It does no justice to our, to our, to our faith. It does no justice to our, our, our spirits. It does no justice to our advancing his kingdom. Zero. We have talents, we have to invest them. How do we invest our talents for the kingdom of God? How do we help people? How do we help the world find that God is real, that his kingdom is coming, that Yeshua is the Messiah? How do we bring them to obedience to the master? How do we get people to find Yeshua as their king? That's the goal of our faith. That's ultimately what we're supposed to be doing. We do it through our lives, our everyday lives, where we're at, where we're walking, what we're doing, how we represent ourselves. We do it all. There's a lot of ways to do it. But the reality is that if we can't get over ourselves and focus on what God requires of us and where he has taken us and then move in his presence, we'll never truly be able to invest our materials and our talents into his building his kingdom ever. So this parashiot about 
building the temple? How do you build the temple of God on earth? How are we actively working at building the temple of God on earth so that we can prepare people for his coming? Is he going to come? Yes. Did he come this morning? No. So that means what? We have more work to do. We still have, we still have life in us. We still have breath. We still have work to do. We still have to work by the sweat of our brow. We still have to every day get up and put our pants on and go to work and deal with the wreckage of life and, and all of those things. But we have to do it in a way that we're doing an obedience to God. We're his servants. He's not ours. Amen. It is our duty to praise the master of all to ascribe greatness to the author of creation. For he made us unlike the nations of the lands and not placed us unlike the families of the earth. He's not made our portion like theirs and our lot like all their multitudes. And we bend the knee and bow and acknowledge our thanks before the king over kings. The holy one blessed is he who stretches out heaven and establishes earth's foundation. And the seat of his glory is in the heavens above. And the presence of his power is in the most exalted heights. He's our God. There's none other. True is our king. There's nothing beside him as it is written in his Torah. You shall know this day and take to your heart that the Lord he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. There is none other. Amen, amen. Let us stand together.